This is Science Friday. I am Ira Plato. Sci-Fi producer Kathleen Davis has joined me. Hi, Kathleen. What's up? Hey, Ira. I want you to play along with me for just a moment and think of the ocean. Picture some of the critters that live there. Mm, ocean. I love the ocean. Okay. First things to come to mind are your dolphins, your whales, and of course, octopuses. Those can all be very charismatic creatures. They're pretty easy for us humans to relate to them. I mean, we can connect to the playfulness of dolphins, the family ties of whales, the intelligence of octopuses, so on and so forth. Absolutely. But I'm wondering, Ira, have you ever had a connection with a creature that is a little less flashy, maybe a little more unpopular, something like a cuttlefish or bubble-like invertebrates called salps. Salps? <laughs> I don't think I'm familiar with salps. Well, you will be once you get your hands on a new book by friend of the show, Sabrina Imbler. It's called How Far the Light Reaches, A Life in Ten Sea Creatures. Sabrina is a staff writer at Defector, and in this book, they explore parts of their identity through a collection of essays, each one floating between details of Sabrina's life and those of a sea creature. Sabrina, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Kathleen. So a lot of the creatures that you write about in your book are not, I would say, very popular or maybe generally appreciated. What is it about these more obscure, sometimes strange creatures that really intrigues you? <laughs> I love strange creatures, I think, because it is a bit more of a challenge to find connection with them. Like in trying to learn more about creatures that have very, very different ways of living or ways of socializing or ways of like eating in the world than we do, I think it has set up a challenge to me really to look into that creature and to find residences that might be unexpected or might be, you know, like not not the obvious kind of um, relation that we have when we think about, you know, a grieving whale or, um, you know, an, an elephant that has a society and, you know, mourns her dead. For example, when I was, you know, thinking about the deep sea yeti crab, which is a really, really strange creature that lives at the bottom of the ocean on hydrothermal vents. And I just kept looking at it and I was like, you know, this there's no better way to say this is this crab kind of looks queer it looks like a little <laughs> bit flamboyant and I think yeah being able to really sit with creatures and find these unexpected connections I think I find more exciting I'm going to go back to the yeti crab in a minute here um, because I love that essay but I want to kind of hammer home this point that it is harder I would say for people to relate to creatures that aren't maybe traditionally cute or cool. I mean, we're so much more likely to project human emotions and personalities onto, you know, a creature that's fluffy and has big eyes and is really adorable looking like a, you know, a cat or a dog or anything like that. It's harder to do that with a creature that is maybe a scaly or a little slimy or blobbish. <laughs> In some ways, this book feels like a mission to get people to, you know, know these creatures and appreciate them. I mean, is there something you think that there is to gain about connecting with these creatures that are a little bit more off the beaten path? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a really good point. We are so quick to, you know, find connection with something fluffy. Like that's why pandas like are doing so well um, and have so many conservation dollars funneled toward them. But, you know, we can't only care about the pandas and the dolphins and a lot of the stranger and less savory creatures like have crucial roles in their ecosystems and also need help, you know, surviving in this world that we have 
irrevocably altered in some ways. Um, I think it's a really good practice of empathy to really find intimacy with strange or bizarre or, you know, unsavory creatures. It is my mission in the way that I write about these creatures to really understand them on their own terms, like to understand what they need to live and what they need to eat and, you know, how they reproduce and how long they live and, you know, do they sleep? Do they hibernate? And I think maybe just trying to describe like the everyday life of of this of this different creature maybe that makes you know this animal feel more like a neighbor <laughs> more like a friend than something that we sort of like fixate on like why is its you know snout so long or like its legs like look really creepy to me but really trying to understand the creature on its own terms i feel like is something that i try to do and maybe helps us build that connection with our with our friends on the earth I want to go back to the Yeti crabs, which you had very pleasantly described to us earlier. One thing that that you talk about in your essay about the Yeti crabs is that they will gather at the bottom of the seafloor and have what kind of looks like a dance party. <laughs> How did you find yourself relating to these crabs? It's a funny story. I first learned about the Yeti crab, I think, on Tumblr. <laughs> um, there is this image of the Yeti crab um, I think taken from a nature documentary, it was just sort of perched on this rock amid like the the dark waters of the deep sea. And there was this quote at the bottom that said, this creature is like adapted to the crushing pressure and oppressive darkness. (laughs) And when I first saw this image, I was living in a new city for the first time and Trump had just been elected. And I was like, I can relate, (laughs) like me too. (laughs) And so that was like my first moment, just this meme of connecting with the Yeti crab. But the more I learned about it, the more I really felt like this crab its everyday way of living reminded me a lot of the ways that, you know, I found community in queer nightlife. And I would watch footage of these crabs just crawling all over each other in these dense crowds at the bottom of the sea, um, you know, around these heat sources. And I was thinking about the times when I would dance with my queer friends, like in a club, and we would all be packed, you know, so closely next to each other. Then I actually learned about this one species of Yeti crab, Kiwa Puravita, that actually dances to farm its own food. So it waves its claws in, in the, the heat of these hydrothermal vents and they have bacterial mats on the on their claws and waving the claws sort of helps the bacteria grow and then they can eat the bacteria on their own claws, which I was like, this crab is literally dancing <laughs> to live just like me. <laughs> so aside from exploring your queer identity in the book by, you know, maybe evoking certain sea creatures, you also talk about your experience as a mixed race person. And the way that you illustrate this with sea creatures is really poetic. Can you walk me through what creatures you chose to express this part of your identity with? Yeah, so the the essay in the book where I talk about being mixed, um, you know, I'm Chinese and white, is is an essay about hybrid sea creatures, specifically hybrid butterfly fish. And I have always been interested, I think, in taxonomy in in the ocean just because it's interesting. I feel like things that would appear very closely related are not always very closely related. And the idea of a hybrid fish, you know, it's it's an easy parallel to being mixed race, right? This fish is the product of two different species reproducing, you know, it doesn't have a species name of its own. But I think I, I didn't realize until I started writing this essay that I was thinking about 
all the moments in my life where I have I have tried to find like taxonomy for my own existence um, and my own experience of race. Like growing up as someone who was half Asian, I often was trying to find like me and my half Asian friends, we would try to find like the right word <laughs> to describe us because like half Chinese, half white is so long. You know, a lot of these similar instincts to categorize and to give things, you know, specific names, they also exist in taxonomy and the ways that we try to categorize creatures and, you know, name different species. Um, so I found it was really generative to look at this hybrid butterfly fish that really is like, it's a product of serendipity, right? Like butterfly fish release their eggs and their sperm in clouds in the ocean. And, you know, sometimes like an egg of one species and a sperm of another species, or they'll collide and they'll produce, you know, this, this rare and serendipitous hybrid butterfly fish. And I felt like it was, you know, an organism that wasn't expected and no one really knew what to do with it. And um, I found myself relating a lot to that. This is a really deeply personal book. I'm curious if you learned anything about yourself while you were writing it. You know, this book is, it's a memoir and I talk about a lot of experiences that I had growing up. Um, and I think when I started writing this book, a lot of my feelings about those periods of my life were like shame or regret or guilt. You know, I, I came out later in life and I think a lot of my life has been like, why didn't I know I was gay? Like, what does that mean? But I think being able to delve back into these stories of my youth and also like tell them alongside the narratives of these creatures, like I felt like I was... I felt very united by our shared sort of struggle and our shared, you know, interest in in staying alive and, and thriving. And I think I was able to find a lot of tenderness for my past self in understanding, you know, I, you know, I'm just another organism like on the sidewalk. Like I'm also trying to find, you know, nutrients and find a maid and, you know, find community and the things that I need to survive. And I acted imperfectly in, in some instances, but, you know, I was I was really trying my best. <laughs> so I think, yeah, the, the biggest thing that I discovered about myself was, I think, tenderness and care for for my younger self that I didn't have going into the book. So we're just about out of time here. What do you hope that people take away from your book? I hope that this book helps people appreciate the ocean in general and, you know, the, the creatures that live in it. We don't often get a chance to see sea creatures in the same way that we see birds or bugs or, you know, things that sort of exist more easily on terrestrial ground. Um, and I hope that, you know, people learn about new creatures and um, appreciate things that maybe were were strange to them before. But I also hope that this book gives people permission to see themselves in the natural world in in ways that maybe, yeah, didn't seem obvious before. Like I really think that it's a powerful tool to look at different organisms on earth and, and to see like, what connection can I build with this creature? Like, how can I, like, how, how are we, how are we similar? Like, what is our point of sameness? Um, and I think that it's been so powerful for me to learn about myself through through these sea creatures. And I imagine that, yeah, it could be powerful for lots of other people. So look into the ocean and see what sparks joy or wonder or, yeah, similarity. Thank you so much, Sabrina, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Kathleen. Sabrina Imbler is a staff writer at Defector based in Brooklyn, New York. Their new book, How Far the Light Reaches, A Life in Ten Sea Creatures, goes on sale December 6th. You can read an excerpt from the book at sciencefriday.com slash sea creatures. I'm Kathleen Davis.